All right, well, once again, Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. The clock was ticking and time was running out. The whole world watched in awe and anticipation the lives of 13 people. 12 young people and their coach were at stake. Oh, it all started so innocuously. A boys' soccer team named the Wild Boars were having a birthday party for one of the team and decided to celebrate in the Tham Luang Cave in Thailand, which they had been to before. So they left their bikes, left their cleats, set off with their flashlights, water, and snacks to celebrate. Kind of fun to go into a cave, right? Well, it wasn't so fun. This was about four years ago uh, to this day. It was June 23 when they went in. The last of the boys would not emerge from the cave until 18 days later. <clears throat> Excuse me. On July 10th. The rescue that took place was nothing short of a miracle. How many of you remember this? The boys stuck in the cave. Sure you do. The plan was for the boys just to go in, have a little fun, go about two miles deep into the cave and come back out, but not so fast. It was just before the beginning of the monsoon season. And while they were in the cave, it started to rain outside. The water started coming off the nearby mountains and surrounding hills, rushing into the cave and trapping them deep inside its dark recesses. As one writer put it, the cave was incredibly intimidating with a darkness that just sort of pulls you in. Although the water levels were not currently unsafe, the air levels were becoming unsafe. Oxygen levels were dwindling and time was running out. So cave divers from around the world were called and within 24 hours, a handful of specialists were there on the scene. Within days of their arrival, they were plotting a daring rescue beyond the ability of even the world's most elite military teams. Over the next two weeks, the world watched, transfixed by the television feeds as Stanton, the de facto leader of a dozen or so cave diving enthusiasts, worked with the Thai government and hundreds of specialists from many nations to bring the boys and their coach out safe. They didn't even know if they were still alive at this point. Well, Stanton was a retired firefighter and veteran cave diver from England and was the first to arrive in Thailand. Rick said when he arrived, the river was absolutely raging and visibility was nearly non-existent. We couldn't even see our hand in front of our faces there was so much mud and sediment swirling around. You remember that they swam through the cave blindly, not knowing if the boys and their coach were still alive. Every day they knew that at any moment the rains could start again and there would be a point where the divers would have to abort their mission because of the overwhelmingly strong current. Likewise, CO2 levels were now down around 15%. Firefighters usually don't go in, I'm told, if it's less than 18%. It had been more than a week, still no sign of the boys. 
wasn't until their third attempt at penetrating the cave on July 2nd that the divers stumbled upon the boys. Valanthan, one of the divers, had reached the end of his guideline, secured it in the muddy waters, and emerged to an astonishing sight. Facing him on a ledge about a meter above the water were the 12 boys and their coach. How many of you, he asked. 13, one of the boys said. Brilliant, replied Valanthan. It was an incredible moment. Despite their most pessimistic thoughts, the kids and their coach were all alive and ambulatory. But now they had a problem. How are we going to get these kids out of here? The group were perched on a small muddy ledge about four kilometers inside the cave, two and a half miles back into the cave complex, surrounded by flood water with a limited supply of oxygen that was depleting fast. Divers on site described the conditions as some of the most extreme they have ever faced. And the boys did not know how to swim, much less dive. Well, a diving option was risky, but it really was the only option for the boys to stay alive. As rescuers pondered the best course of action, four Thai divers remained with the boys and reintroduced them to food and gradually stabilized their health. And so the plan was set. Two divers would bring each of the boys out of the long, narrow, winding, murky passageway one by one. Often in water rescues, some of you that have been involved know this, it is the panic of the person being rescued that ends up killing them both. So instead of taking that chance, the boys were anesthetized and made unconscious with a drug called ketamine. The most dangerous part of the journey was the first little bit, uh, first kilometer, six-tenths of a mile or so, during which they were required to squeeze through a narrow, flooded channel. Having completed that section, the boys were handed over to separate specialist rescue teams who moved them through the remainder of the cave. For three days, this process was repeated until the entire team and their coach were brought out to safety. It really was an amazing story, this rescue, of a group of people brought out of imprisoned darkness, please get the connection here, that would have surely led to death and brought them into the marvelous light of freedom and newfound life. But what if, imagine for a moment, that after this difficult and daring rescue, the boys just decided to stay at the mouth of the cave and enjoy the deliverance. Not just for a day, not just for two days, but for their entire lives. Never going back to school, never going to the soccer field again, never finding meaningful relationships or fulfilling careers or the relationship with Christ. And yet, I'm afraid many, many Christians do a similar thing. Instead of enjoying the fulfillment of what they are called to, they keep looking back to what they are called from. Now, I am talking about the difference 
between mere forgiveness, as I'm calling it, and that's oh, kind of in parentheses because what could be more wonderful than forgiveness? So I'm talking about the difference between forgiveness and power for daily living and witness. As wonderful, as marvelous as forgiveness is, God calls us beyond that to have victory and purpose and power to actually be in reality the children of God. If Christianity only forgives, and again, forgiveness is super important and so vital to our lives, but if it only forgives and does not empower us to lives that are changed, holy lives, here in real time, then the gospel is neutered of its full effect and the blessing that God has for us, the blessing that God would have us be to others is neutered also. And yet far too many of us remain at the mouth of the cave rejoicing in what we have been called from, always focus on, focusing on forgiveness and not living in the realization of what we've been called to. A spirit-led life of power, purpose, privilege of being the sons of God. A life that attaches more value to holiness than to happiness. Is that your life? A life that attaches more, are you more interested in a holy life even than your own happiness? Our sermon today is called Mere Forgiveness. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for the forgiveness that's been given to us, that you have set us free, but in that freedom was not just given forgiveness, but power to live a transformed life. And Lord, we are your children and the world looks at us to see you. And Lord, if we're not of your spirit, if we're not doing the things that you would have us to do, if we're not acting in the ways that your spirit would lead us, then they don't see you. So please, Lord, teach us today how to live lives that fully reveal our appreciation of what you have done for us, both in our forgiveness and in giving us power, which both came at the cross of Calvary. Send your spirit now, we pray and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn with me to that scripture reading. And thank you to our scripture reader -er for reading that. John chapter 1 is where we start. And this will be sort of a Bible study as we go through several different scriptures about, basically it's about sanctification. Okay, and so that's really what we're looking at today because God has called us from something, but he's called us to something. That's even greater, right? He wants us to have a life of purpose for him. And it's the most joyous life that you could possibly have. I wouldn't want it any other way. Still remember when the Lord got a hold of me. But just because we profess Christianity or profess Seventh-day Adventism, 
doesn't mean we've received it. And so I hope there'll be some encouraging thoughts here today that will help you along the way. And of course, the first one is, as we look in John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, of course, this is in the context of the incarnate word come down, Christ come down in the flesh, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 11, actually, I'm going to start with, it says this, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But, now whenever you see that word, it's a contrasting conjunction. It gives you cause for pause. What is being contrasted here? Of those revealing buts in the Bible, they are small hinges on which great truths and destinies Swing. So always ponder when you see one. And here we see the tragedy of rejection on one side of the butt and the triumph of reception on the other side. And oh, what a beautiful reception it is. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Oh, that wonderful name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so, we see that God gave this gift. He gave us this gift to have the power to become the sons of God. Now, there's a sense in which everyone's a son of God, right? Because God is, is, can be seen as the father of all in a sense. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about believers, you and I, who have accepted Christ into our life and being children of God in reality, that is walking as children of God. Well, he gave it, which means it's based on a decision of the will of the giver without any merit on the part of the recipient. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Same root word in the Greek there. But have you received, and are you a believer today, is the question. Because belief, right, isn't just, oh yeah, I believe, I believe that, you know, I believe that story you told about you know, I mean, it could have been all made up, right? The story about in Thailand. But no, no, you believe that story. But do you believe in Christ? Do you really believe? Of course, the illustration that's often used is of a chair, right? So you got a chair here and you say, yes, I believe that chair will support my weight. I really believe it will. But that's not true belief, is it? What is true belief? Sit down in a chair, right? Let it hold your whole weight. Are you resting your whole weight upon Christ? That's what it means to believe, right? To trust him entirely, to rest in his embrace, to believe that his word will do exactly what it says it will do. Oh, may God make us believers today, amen? D.L. Moody put it this way, speaking of this tremendous passage. 
He says, yes, sons of God, power to overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, power to crucify every besetting sin, passion, lust, power to shout in triumph over trouble and temptation of life. I can do how many things through Christ? All things through Christ who strengthens me. By receiving him, you get his power. No other way. Many persons try it. We talked about that last week with Nicodemus. Many persons try it without the power of Christ. That would be like trying to just jump or pole vault from here to Europe. You're not gonna make it. You can't get there from here. <laughs> but with Christ, with the spirit transforming, you absolutely can get there. And oh, what a privilege, isn't it, to be called and to be in reality the sons of God, the children of God, to stand related to him, not merely as subjects to their king. He is our king. Or servants to their master. He is our master. But as children to their father, being taken under his peculiar protection, direction, and care, being favored with liberty of access to him and intercourse with him and constituted his heirs and joint heirs with Christ of the heavenly inheritance, being Christ's free men and heirs to an incorruptible inheritance. Oh, don't keep looking back at that cave, amen? Look forward what God wants to do to you. Back at that cave, not only were you given forgiveness, you were given power. So Christ wants now to live in our lives. How does that work itself out? Well, let's look at a few other scriptures regarding this. And I will take you to, first of all, 1 Thessalonians 4. So if you'll turn there this morning, 1 Thessalonians 4. Because it's there where Paul says that the will of God is our sanctification. So we don't have to guess whether God wants us to grow in Christ, right? We know it's the will of God. That's what the scriptures tell us. And we believe the scriptures. I have the version here, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, and then I'm going to skip to verse 7 and 8. I have the Amplified here to kind of flesh it out for us, maybe even a little more. And so you might want to listen or you might want to read along, whatever you think. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, For this is the will of God, that you be sanctified, separated and set apart from sin. This is the good news of the gospel. There's power there. That you abstain and back away from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Skipping down now to verse 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness, to be dedicated, to be set apart by behavior that pleases him, whether in public or in private. If I've said it one time, I've said it a million times. Christianity is first of all relational, right? It's this relationship between us and Christ. It is then secondly behavioral, amen? So it starts with a relationship, but if there's no behavior that follows, 
you got to question the relationship a little bit. Amen? God wants to change us, transform us, not with little improvements or modifications, but with a transformation of nature. Go with me to Romans 12 now as we look at another scripture on this subject. And it's so important, would-be preachers, if you're here or listening online, if you never get to the point before your sermon that you think, wow, this is arguably the most important message I've ever preached, then you probably <laughs> may not want to preach it. Um, and this is super important. I thought last week's was, but I'm like, oh no, this week is, this week is so important. We must understand how to live because God is cleansing his sanctuary. What does that mean, right? It means he's cleansing us. But we are to cooperate with that. It's not just let God, let go and let God. I mean, there is a, a part of that. But there's a part that you play in your sanctification. I know one man who has given me his testimony. Many of you may have heard it too. I'm not going to identify him this time for those that haven't. Although I'm, I didn't ask him, so I'm just not going to. But there was one thing in his life that, that just troubled him so much. And when the devil came to him, he would actually verbally say no when that temptation came. And he overcame that thing in his life. And so there is a part for us to play. Amen? Come on, that was a weak amen. amen. There's a part for us to play in this whole thing. Romans 12. Now, the other side is what could happen. I don't think it's going to happen in this church, not from the preaching that you've heard, but it could happen is what I call navel gazing, right? All you do in life is you're just looking at yourself and, oh, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? That's, that's a trap too, right? And so it's because of the love of Christ and because we want to please him and because we know we're in this beautiful time of the cleansing of the sanctuary. It's a beautiful thing that God is taking away sin. Amen. Aren't you going to be glad when it's gone? Come on now. Romans 12. And so I want to give you some statements that, that balance this out. We don't want to be navel gazers, you know, constantly only thinking of ourselves and how am I doing? But God has called us to examine ourselves to an extent. So we want the balance that the Bible brings. Romans 12 helps, I think. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God or through the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God that you present your bodies. Do you have a body today? You do your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable because of the mercies of God. When you look at what Christ has done, this is way reasonable. Not only because of what he's done, he's the one that's going to do it in you also. And do not be, so you have two options here, right? Verse two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And then this is so important, so, so important. How are we transformed? By the renewing of the mind. The devil works through the flesh to try to change the mind. God works through the mind to control the flesh. Did you get that? The devil works through the flesh to control and change the mind. God works through the renewed mind to control 
the flesh. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so offer our bodies a living sacrifice. Think more of holiness even than our own happiness. And that's a truly uh, sanctified person. Amen. I'm going to read you one other text on the mind. If you want to write it down, Ephesians 4.22, because we've we got several other texts we're going to go to. But it says this, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man. So Ephesians tells us, put this off and put this on, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So God wants to give us that new mind, which affects then everything that we do. So the story is told of the preacher, and the lady comes to him and says, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I got these cobwebs in my mind. So, okay, I'll definitely pray for you. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I got these cobwebs in my mind. They're affecting my life. Okay, I'll pray for you. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I got these cobwebs that keep bugging me. Pastor finally said, not only will I pray for you about the cobwebs, let's kill the spider. <laughs> so let's get to the root of the matter. And that's the mind, the renewed mind. Rather than trying to take out oh, this behavior and this behavior, no, no, no. Go to the renewed mind. Now, there may be behaviors that God does want you to, the Spirit may convict you to work on, and that's not a bad thing. We'll get to that here in a minute. But it all starts with the Spirit working through the renewed mind. Go with me to Romans 8. Now, you're still in Romans. Go back a couple pages. Romans 8, the great eight, as it's called by many. What a great passage of Scripture, Romans 8. And, oh, it's all so good, but I guess I'm going to have to just read verse 3 and 4 and then skip on because I know what my time is going to do here if I don't. Romans 8, 3 and 4, For what the law could not do, why could the law not do it? In that it was weak through the flesh. So the flesh was weak. Therefore, the law could not do what it would have liked to have done. What the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God did. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God has given the victory, amen? The Spirit is stronger than the devil. Uh, when one believes and fully believes, it can be easier, it is easier for him to be saved than to be lost if he fully believes and is following his sweet Christ. I could take you to a text about that. I'm tempted to, yeah, let's do it. 
Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And this is just so powerful. This is uh, not in our sermon notes today. Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. Galatians 5, 16. Galatians 5, 16. I got the King James rendering, by the way, this morning. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, these are two warring powers, right? The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, which things can you not do? The bad things. The flesh is not as powerful as the spirit. God has given victory. And that victory is for you today. Go back with me to Romans 8 as we look more at this subject of the children of God, how this is accomplished. Oh, there's so much from scripture to share on this subject. But look back with me now to verse 12 of Romans 8. And it says this. God, of course, I'm going back now to verse 3. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit, now this is so important, not through you, through the spirit, do mortify. What does that mean? Put to death, right? If you do mortify, if you do put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit, it's the spirit's work in our heart and lives. They are the sons of God. True believers are receivers and the spirit works through to change and transform. I want to share one statement with you that also brings balance, I think, from a periodical called the General Conference Bulletin, back from 1901. This is so powerful. I love the way this kind of brings it all together, at least for me. I hope it helps you also. It says this, the scriptures teach us to seek for the sanctification to God of body, soul, and spirit, right? So that's, that's clear. God wants us to grow in our Christian walk. In this work, we are to be labors together with God. It's not just let go and let God. We have a part in this to cooperate. It's God through it all the way, right? He does, gives us both the will and to do of his good pleasure, but there is a part that we play. In this work, we are to be labors together with God. And while we cannot claim perfection of the flesh, no way, we may have Christian perfection of the soul. Through the sacrifice made in our behalf, sins may be perfectly forgiven. Now, all along, our dependence is not on what man can do. It is what God can do for man through Christ. Come on, say amen if that's the gospel. Not what we can do. It's what he's doing through us. When we surrender ourselves wholly to God and fully believe 
The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. The conscience can be free from condemnation. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Through faith in his blood, all may be made perfect in Christ Jesus. We are not dealing with impossibilities here. Don't you love that? We may claim sanctification. Now, we're not going to go around in the grocery store and say, hey, I haven't sinned in six months. No, no, no. That's not what this is talking about. We may enjoy the favor of God. We are not, now get this. This is just, I read this and I'm like, whoa. We are not to be anxious about what Christ and God think of us. Are you ever anxious about that? We understand the context here. But about what God thinks of Christ our substitute. If you've accepted Christ as your substitute, how do you think God feels about Christ? Pretty good, right? Pretty loving. That's how he feels about you. Because you're in Christ. You are accepted in the beloved. The Lord shows to the repenting, believing one that Christ accepts the surrender of the soul to be molded and fashioned after his own likeness. Now, question, is molding always a fun process? No. No, those of you that have gotten married recently, uh, or if you're maybe going to get married before too long, realize that when the two become one, it's a process, right? And the two are molding together. And there's some adjustments that take place along the way. And that's not a bad thing. And it's the same with Christianity. God is molding us, right? And sometimes that molding is not fun, to be quite honest, right? But if God wants to knock something out of my life and mold me, I'm willing to go for it. How about you? You okay with that? Even if it's a little, yeah, right? And we need that. We need that in our lives. Oh, so many scriptures. Where do I go? Well, I'll go to one more. First, I'm going to go to several more, but let's go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and 1 Peter 2, it says to abstain from sin. But I love some of the verbs used in chapter 3. By the way, we just studied through Peter in our prayer meeting. That was phenomenal. Just really good stuff. So if you can make it out Tuesday night at 7, now we're in 2 Peter. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 and onward. Finally, 1 Peter 3, 8, B, you all of one mind. There's that mind again. And how will that mind express itself? By having compassion on one another. Do you find your heart having compassion on others or not? If it's not, the new mind is not really, not, kind of not working there, right? Have compassion on one another. Love as brothers. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that thereunto you are called, that you should inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. That's one of the members of our body that God wants to work on, right? Our tongue. 
gets us into more trouble than <laughs> other stuff at times, I think. Tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Verse 11, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now, this word eschew is an interesting word. It comes from the uh, equestrian world. Seth, so this, this, this one's for you, right? It's especially for you or any other horse people. There's many of you out there, but I was thinking especially of Seth as I understood this more. The word eschew is from the equestrian world, and it's when a horse is going along, you're on that horse, and all of a sudden something jumps out of the weeds, and what happens? That horse is spooked, right? God wants us to be spooked by evil. Amen? He wants us to jump, to, be, to, to just be just horrified by it. You know, I'm afraid that's not where we're at in general, in this world, right? We either like it or we're just okay with it. We're not spooked by it. But that's what this is calling us to, to be spooked by sin, to eschew it. And then to pursue peace. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Like a hunter aggressively pursuing, or if an athlete, to run hard after, be spooked by evil, do good, and run hard after peace. That's what First Peter tells us in chapter 3. Two more scriptures, unless the Lord leads me <laughs> otherwise. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Back to Romans. Uh, can't get away from it. It's just so filled with the gospel. The only gospel that, of course, Paul wrote, especially to a church that he didn't set up. So he had to spell everything out. Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and onward. Again, this is all based upon the work of Christ, but then there is a work for us to do in cooperation. Verse 10, for in that he died. Chapter 6, verse 10, he died unto sin once. This is speaking of Christ. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Verse 11, likewise, in the same way, reckon you also yourselves. Consider yourselves also to be dead. That's what this is saying. Indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so based on his sacrifice on our behalf, now we are to reckon ourselves. Man, I'm not alive to that anymore. I died to that in Christ. Reckon it. Consider it. Count it a fact in your life. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It's our big problem. We have these mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, because you are and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. 
because you're not under the law, you're under the powerful reign of grace. And when grace reigns in our hearts, it's like, right? That's when, when God's sacrifice, justification, and faith hit each other, it's like, whoa, there's power there. It's not just forgiveness that we got at the cross. It's power to live Christian lives. Now, are we always going to get it right? No. And that always, we, we do that. We don't get it right. And then it's like, well, I don't know if this is working for me. No, no, no. Keep going back to the same place. Amen? Go back to the cross. See that forgiveness. Realize it's there for you. And say, I know the same place I got forgiveness is the place I got power. God wants to change our lives completely. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, speaking of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> oh, there's so many. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, but I'm going to read you one while you're turning there. Therefore, no time. This is from chapter 10. Therefore, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation do what? He will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sorry, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I told you to turn to chapter 6, but that was chapter 10. I just couldn't help myself. Um, and so, so while I'm not able to help myself, one more text humor me, would you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because it's so powerful, and this is so needed in our lives, because we need that transformed mind, and also the Bible tells us to bring our members into subjection to him. What are your members? Well, your members are your eyes, your ears, your mouth. This is what it's talking about, right? And Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes, Right? Men, not just men, women, anybody. Where's my phone? I don't need to pull it out. But you know, I mean, anywhere you look, there's stuff that the devil is going to try to mess you up with, right? You need to make a covenant with your eyes, men and women, all of us at this point, because evil is everywhere. That's one of your members, right? Your imagination is one of your members. Is, an, is imagination good? Yeah, really good. Can it be bad? Yeah, really bad. But God will control your imagination. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have mighty weapons through God, not of ourselves. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever imagined something that wasn't good in your mind. But I will tell you this. God has a promise for all of us. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, wow, every thought to your obedience? No. No to the obedience of Christ. <laughs> it becomes your obedience. How many of you long to have every thought brought into the captivity of Christ? How many of you already have every thought brought? Oh, okay, so, so probably we all need this, right? 
and are looking for this. 1 Corinthians 6. Sorry. Humor me. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse, I'll start with 18. And I believe we are closing soon here. Chapter 6, verse 18, flee fornication, right? So flee from it. That doesn't mean just let God and let go. There's something for you to do. Get away from it. Be spooked by sin like the horse. Flee fornication. Every sin a man does is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and that you are not your own? Is it possible that the Corinthians did not know? That's what he's saying. <laughs> know you not? Huh, you know, that reminds me, isn't there a church in the last days that didn't know? Yeah, that last church, Laodicea, that one that we're in. What know you not that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Did you get that? So what should we do? We should do what God wants with our body, right? Whatever he wants us to put in it, whatever he wants us not to put in it, whether it's thoughts or things that we see or music that we hear, it's his temple. And he deserves to have a clean, holy temple. And he'll do it. Because it's his work. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And oh, what a price you were bought with. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Today, friends, you are not your own. We have been redeemed. Amen? We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So true. Certain divine requirements grow out of being bought with a price. Such love demands my life, my soul, my all. We are to glorify God in our body and spirit because we belong to him. We're to glorify him in our service. That's the way how this, you never, you know, keep looking at yourselves and you're always this inward, how am I growing? No, no, no. you're looking out, right? To help someone else. And all of a sudden you're growing, right? You, you just didn't even see it coming, but God is doing the work. You're bought with a price. Be not servants of men. Peter tells us that since we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, we're to pass the time of our sojourning here, sojourning here in fear. Self-service sojourning. All to him I owe. Because he paid it all. While we sing about the price that he paid, we had better check on what God expects for us not to repay him. Now this is, please don't get that idea that we're living holy lives to somehow repay him. There's no way we could repay him. But it's the expression of our heart's love, amen? Of our heart's appreciation of what God has done for us and just appreciation, appreciating the privilege because he wants us to be the sons of God. He's called us to be that. 
He's given us this power. If someone had given you power and you didn't use it, that would almost be spurning the gift, wouldn't it? So God wants us to have his power in our lives today. It comes along with the gift. Along with forgiveness comes power. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray, and then I have something special that I'm going to do, and the people don't know about it, but they will in a minute. So let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that we need not just look back at the mouth of that cave and think only of forgiveness, because our deliverance included more than that. It includes power. Oh yes, pardon is there, but power is there and privilege of living for you, being your ambassadors in these last days as the world looks for you. Lord, you've put us in this world for them to see you. And oh Lord, that's a high calling. It's beyond us. We can't pull this off, Lord. And we know we can't. It's not on our merits, but you want to do it through us. You want us just to beam with your beautiful righteousness, your right doing So please, Lord, work that work in our hearts. If there's any unrighteousness, any feelings of dis-ease towards another person, Lord, take that away, Lord. That will only make us not beautiful, but the opposite of that. And so, Lord, we need freedom and forgiveness for those things. We need people to be people that run hard after peace and do good and are spooked by evil. Make us that kind of people for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.